Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. This is Launchpad. On behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, the author marketing coach, and myself, Grace Salmon, welcome to episode 15 with Shelley Blanton Stroud, Gretchen Sherrington, Ashley E. Sweeney, and Deborah Thomas. This show is being recorded in front of a live audience, so if you are with us live, please feel free to leave questions, comments, and ask us anything that you would like. This special episode are all She Writes Press authors, so we're always happy to welcome that particular press to the launch pad. And in this episode, we're going to be dealing with crimes, cocktails, and clothes. Go to butchers, <laughs> embezzlers, and fall guys. We'll learn about upper, underrepresented women who change the West and women who rise to the occasion to save their families. I want to make sure I welcome right away Shelley Blanton Stroud with her book, Tomboy, Gretchen Charrington with a family memoir called The Butcher, The Embezzler, and The Fall Guy, Ashley E. Sweeney with Hardland, and Deborah Thomas with her newest book, which comes out very soon, Josie and Vic. Welcome to each of you. <coughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks very much for having us. Shelley, let's start with you right away. Tell us sure. about your trilogy of Copyboy, Tomboy, and Poster Girl coming soon. Great. Well, I'll tell you about Tomboy. That's the, the newest one out. Uh, it's the second in the series of Jane Benjamin Historical Mysteries. It's set in 1939, and on the brink of World War II, Jane Benjamin is the kind of girl, I'll call her a girl, everybody else calls her a girl, <laughs> who wants to have it all. So by day, she hustles as a scruffy tomboy club cub reporter, and by night, she secretly struggles to raise her toddler sister, which she's not very good at, um, and to protect her sister from their mother. Um, what Jane needs is to make more money, and she aims to become the first gossip columnist for the San Francisco Prospect. That's her plan. So she finagles her way to the Women's Championship at Wimbledon, which is going to be starring her hometown's tennis phenom and cover girl, Tommy. Jane plans to write her first gossip column there um, with all the famous people who will be circulating. But then she witnesses Tommy's coach drop dead of an apparent heart attack in the stands, and her plan is uh, blown. So then she sails home on the RMS Queen Mary, and for five days she veers back and forth between the desire to write a social bombshell column, which might personally damage her new friend, or to work to uncover the truth of the coach's death and its connection to a larger conspiracy involving U.S. Uh, participation in the coming war. And um, so Tomboy's got ball gowns, ballads, bourbon, and boiler rooms. It was a real hoot to research and write. I love that. That sounds absolutely amazing. Gretchen Charrington, you've written a book called Poetic License, which is a memoir. And then you've gone out on a new version of The Butcher, The Embezzler, and The Fall Guy, which is a fascinating tale to me. Tell us about it. <laughs> Thank you. Here's the cover of it, if you can see it there. Um, and it's a good follow on to Shelley's, although nobody gets murdered. We do have some blood and guts <laughs> because it is about the meatpacking industry 
in the early 1900s. Um, and the story really is about three powerful men who come together in 1900 on the banks of the Cedar River in Austin, Minnesota, which is just next to Iowa. And one of them is George Hormel, who is the founder of what is now the multi-billion dollar conglomerate Hormel Foods. One is my paternal grandfather, Alpha LaRue Eberhardt, who was hired by uh, Hormel to be his right-hand man, secretary of the board, executive vice president. And the third is a wily farm kid named uh, Ransom, amazingly, <laughs> Jay Thompson, um, who is hired by Mr. Hormel to come in as a scaler, elevated to bookkeeper, finally elevated to comptroller. And over the course of nearly 10 years, he will embezzle close to $1.2 million from the Hormel company right under the eyes of my grandfather, George Hormel, the auditors, the bankers. And um, the story really opens in 1922 as Mr. Hormel is asking for the resignation of my grandfather because rumors are floating that he might've had something to do with the embezzlement or been in cahoots. The question I set out to answer was, was he complicit in the embezzlement or not? This is a grandfather I never knew. And so it's entailed a lot of research, both in Minnesota, um, as well as online to try to figure out what I think about it. And it, it also includes my insights from having worked with hundreds of CEOs over 35 years in management consulting. Sounds like a fascinating read. Um, Ashley E. Sweeney, you've written Eliza Wade, Answer Creek, and now Hardland. Tell us about it. Well, here's my gorgeous cover of Hardland. Oh, it is beautiful. Love it. Indeed. And I really can't talk about Hardland without talking about the genesis of it, Grace. Um, I was 85,000 words into what I thought was going to be my third novel when COVID hit, but because I couldn't travel anymore, I shelved that novel and I asked myself what I would do with this unexpected time that was gifted to me. Of course, at that time, we didn't know if it was going to be six months or nine months. We had no idea that it was going to last into, you know, two, now three years. Um, but I looked out my window here in Tucson and I realized that the desert is, if anything, resilient. And that really struck me at the time. And I thought, I'm resilient too. And that uncovered a long buried trauma that I had had in my life of being physically abused as a young woman, which I had stuffed for many decades. And I used all that grief and all that energy to create Ruby Fortune, who is just a kick-ass protagonist. <laughs> You've never read anyone like Ruby Fortune before. And she battles abuse and misogyny and economic challenges um, as she runs a roadhouse and mothers four boys in 1899 Arizona Territory. So I created a fictional town just about 10 miles north of Tucson called um, Jericho. And through, through writing the novel, I can say at the end result is Ruby and I both emerged as survivors instead of wearing the label of victim. And I can say unequivocally that we have both emerged into better versions of ourselves, both Ruby and me. So I couldn't have done it without the help of this group or my editor, 
um, Ellen Notbaum or the support of Brooke Warner at She Writes Press. Oh, that, that's wonderful. And I, I, I love that you have a kick-ass protagonist. <laughs> uh, that, that's a fabulous way to describe her. And Deborah Thomas, you've written Luz, and now you have written Josie and Vic. Tell us about it. Well, Josie and Vic is coming out next week. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> Josie and Vic are a sister and brother uh, with a very special bond. Uh, when they were young, when she was five and he was 11, their father leaves them. And uh, Vic becomes like a second parent to Josie. The mother is a single mom working a lot. And in fact, the opening line of the novel is Vic had always been her hero. Uh, the novel itself takes place when they are both now in their 40s. And Vic, who lives in Los Angeles, experiences a terrible tragedy. He loses his wife and children in an accident. And Josie, who lives on the East Coast, upstate New York, leaves everything and comes out to be with him to try to help him through this terrible crisis. Uh, now, this estranged father comes into the picture uh, to lend his support. And Josie has a, uh, a rebellious singer-songwriter daughter, Ellie, who lives in Seattle, and she comes as, as well. And this family will clash, there's tension, um, but they will be given an opportunity to reconnect, which is really what I wanna talk about connection despite our differences. And we certainly have tons of them right now in our lives and our communities and our country. And then I'm also inspired by our, our human, our ability to, to our resilience, um, despite suffering, struggling, loss, I'm amazed at how we keep going, how we find purpose, how we learn to love again, especially with love and support of those around us. So those things are, are what I was trying to convey through Josie and Vic. And such interesting <clears throat> facts that the four of you write in very, very different genres, but still there's that theme of resilience and there's that theme of um, strength and trying to find commonalities. Um, and that's whether your uh, characters are real or imagined. So I love that. I wanna make sure we welcome our, our guests who are joining us today. Uh, good morning in various parts of the country. Uh, people are saying good girl power, wonderful stuff, great <laughs> connection about resilience. So uh, thank you for joining us. Please continue to comment and ask questions if you have them. We'd love to hear them as we go. Let's go back to Shelley for a minute. You've written these three books. Um, where did the inspiration come for those? Um, you know, it's funny because it's a moving target. I began by having a family story that I really needed to tell that had come from my own father, who'd been a uh, cotton picker with his family who immigrated here during the Dust Bowl and migration from Texas. And he, as a child, uh, was required to do things that, uh, you know, built his character, gave him grit and resilience, which are a terrific theme in our family. But also, um, I have always thought that maybe a child should not be asked to have experiences that require them to be so resilient and so gritty. And so it began for me by telling, um, retelling and fictionalizing a story that my father always told me. And then, you know, when you turn your boat just a little to the left, you find that you're going to an entirely different country than you expected. So I did not plan to have a series featuring Jane. I planned to tell the point of view of um, an, 
a despot Oki who tries to make remake themselves and to gain some agency in the world. And then things just started happening. <laughs> <laughs> they took over. I love the line in your book, or at least in your book blurb, where you say that she's a very difficult girl. She's going to be absolutely amazing, but that is years to come. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that is a part of my idea that really fabulous people don't always seem so fabulous. Early on, I think they seem difficult. <laughs> Um, Ashley, let's go to you on that same question about where did this real nugget of these come from? You talked about how in Hardland it was the resilience. Is that true of your other two novels as well? Um, you could say so, yes. Although I write standalone novels, I don't have a series mm -hmm. um, going. So Eliza Waite, the, the genesis of that novel was... Um, actually discovering an abandoned cabin on a remote island in the San Juan Islands in Washington and standing in that very space. Setting is very important to me. In fact, some people say setting is even a character in my books. And so standing in that abandoned cabin, I just felt like there was a story there that I wanted to bring to the world. I didn't even know what the story was yet, but I just, I had that feeling. And the same thing happened with Answer Creek. Um, when I was actually in Alaska um, marketing Eliza Waite back in 2016, we crossed a river called Answer Creek. And that just stuck in my mind. It, I call it um, a title in search of a story. <laughs> and it took me a while to come up with that. But I figured if I'm focusing on untold stories in the American West, although I'm thinking of broadening my brand for all of the readers out there, I thought, I'm not really going to be worth my salt unless I write about the most iconic Western story, and that's the Donner Party. And so I took on four years of research, including traveling across the entire um, California, um, Oregon, California Trail to, to bring that story to life. So you, you never know where you're going to be or what's going to be said, and it sparks something. So I actually have about eight other ideas in the hopper, and so including the one that I shelved. So I really don't know what direction I'm going to go next after my next one. I am halfway through another novel that has a um, publishing date of next fall. Well, we're excited to see whatever comes next. Gretchen, with yourself, you obviously have a family link to both of your books. What made you want to turn them into books? Gosh, it's a probably a long answer to that, but I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, I think, you know, one, one inspiration for me was this quote that I saw from uh, Rachel Cusk, and it was in her trilogy outline. And it said something about, how writing comes from tension, the tension between what's inside and what's outside. And for me growing up, one of the things that I observed <clears throat> was that my family, which was quite public and I had a famous father and lots of literary people around all the time, um, in, in my own experience, wasn't exactly as it was often described by the public. And so I had this inner tension between what I felt, what I experienced, and what the public saw and, and thought our family was about. And I think that that 
has really driven me um, from the beginning of writing both of these books. Um, the second book, The Butcher Book, actually I thought was going to be part of Poetic License, but um, Brooke Warner was my developmental editor and, and she said, no, 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 this is your second book. It's a totally different story. And so while obviously my father is linked to my grandfather, um, they are very different stories. Fascinating. I, I, I love that. Um, you, in some ways, you know, Ashley was talking about how uh, she had to reconcile her abusive past and that happened. You uh, had to reconcile the public and the personal um, yes, and, and it was really sort of trying to figure out what my truth was and then um, bringing enough courage to bear to tell that truth. And really that has followed through in the second book too because I uncover some things about my grandfather that we didn't know before um, and you know had to reconcile with those things too. Well, thank you for that. Deborah, I know the motivation for some of your work. So, um, I, and, I, and I love that it comes out of your teaching background and some of your advocacy work. So share that with our listeners, please. Well, um, um, many years ago, I taught English as a second language to adults. Uh, and it was around the time there were a lot of deaths in the desert, people trying to cross our border. Uh, and I became involved in immigrant rights um, uh, groups and uh, had quite amazing experiences that I could talk a whole hour about. But I knew I wanted to write about them in fiction. I love fiction because I think fiction draws the reader into experience um, what the character's going through. And I thought maybe that would be one way for people to see um, what problems, what issues are going on at the border, why people leave, what their experience is like, you know, people who had no clue. So I first wrote Loose, which is about Alma, a young girl whose father is a migrant farm worker who goes missing. And she travels uh, the length of Mexico and across the border to try to find him. Now, Josie and Vic, has um, aspects of uh, immigration issues as well. Vic uh, was a Vietnam vet who, when he came back, ended up in Arizona and was involved in the sanctuary movement, helping uh, Central American refugees. And then he goes to Los Angeles with a lawyer friend and becomes a paralegal at an immigration firm. And he also marries a young woman from Mexico. Uh, who has become a naturalized citizen on her own. And so there is a lot about immigration and there'll be an incident in the middle of the novel that involves a, a, an issue at the border. So I include that as well. Uh, and, and in fact, I talk about Water Stations Project, a group who go out in the desert and leave water marked by a blue flag. In fact, this novel for a while in my mind was called Blue Flags. So that's uh, where that where my writing came from. I love origin stories. One of the things I love about Launchpad is when I can build connections between authors and their stories. Uh, the four of you made it very simple though for me. First of all, you're with the fabulous Brooke Warner and She Writes Press, so we're very happy about that as well. But the four of you are also part of RBG. So uh, Gretchen, I'm gonna ask you to field that question. Okay, well, I can easily start off and then others can, can join in. But um, back in 2020, after Poetic License came out, I think it was in August, um, I started scouting. I knew I was going to be writing a second book. I had the writing group that I'd been in locally in New Hampshire, where I lived at that time, um, had kind of dispersed. And we were in COVID, you know, everything was being done virtually. So I was part of this incredible 2020 spring cohort 
with She Writes Press, along with Shelley, Ashley, and Deb, among many others as well. And as I was scouting around, I realized, well, the fact that I'm on the East Coast doesn't have to matter if I want to connect with people on the West Coast, because we're doing everything on Zoom anyway. Um, and I really loved the three books from these three women. Uh, each of the ones that came out that year was one of my favorites. And so I just reached out to them and said, what do you think? And what I was looking for, I think, Grace, was people who were serious writers. And by that, I mean that although we've become very close friends and socialize, basically our writing group time is for writing and critique. Um, we're not spending it. So, I mean, we do a little check-ins in the beginning and stuff, but we're, you know, we're serious about writing. We're also serious, I think, about getting better at our writing. So we're open to feedback and critique. Um, I also just really liked these three women and there was something about them. They seemed very genuine and honest and not sort of prima donnas or anything. They were seemed very humble in their ways. And um, so I just reached out and asked if any of them were interested. And I was actually a little surprised that all three said yes. <laughs> so we started up in the fall of 2020, I guess it was. So you are a writing group that have uh, worked together for a number of months, almost two years now come fall. Um, Ashley, talk a little bit more about that, especially since you are from different genres. Yeah, that's one of the most interesting parts about this critique group. We're in four different genres at the moment, Gretchen with memoir and Shelley with crime fiction and Deb with contemporary fiction and me with historical fiction. So you would think, oh, well, maybe we should just be in a group with all historical fiction writers. That, that might actually work. But why this works is because we're all readers and we read across genres. So we're able to give each other very honest feedback about what we think is working and not working. And in the meantime, we've grown to not just love each other's works, but love each other. And we're starting to meet each other with skin on, which is really <laughs> nice. I've met Shelley and Gretchen has met Deb in real time. So one of these days, the four of us will get together and that will, that will really be a wonderful time. That is magical. And we have comments coming in about you sound like such a great critique group. Uh, Deborah, your co cover is beautiful. We have um, Michelle Ann Waite with us. We have Mary Helen Sheriff. We have other people as well. So thanks everybody who is uh, joining us and asking questions as well. Uh, Shelley, talk a little bit about the critique group as well. And then uh, Deborah, same question for you. Why is that important to your writing? You know, one of the things that I think got boosted for me, everything that has been said already is true for me too, but there's um, something about these women that has worked its way into what is now a series for me, and that is that I, I can say that I'm writing about difficult but ambitious women. These are not difficult women. Maybe someone <laughs> in their life once thought they were difficult, but really in one way or another, they are very, very ambitious. And, and I don't think among our group, any of us is prone to saying our ambition is to sell X number of books or something, but we're very ambitious uh, for our books to be good and to connect with readers and so on. And so that was a theme among the people I'm talking to in this critique group, but it's also turned out to be a theme in the female protagonists 
and uh, characters in our books, that they are people who create trouble sometimes for people around them <laughs> by being so ambitious. Like you could say that because Gretchen's is, um, is memoir that it, and it's focused on these three men, oh, that that wouldn't count. But honestly, for Gretchen to go poking around in the Hormel <laughs> company, uh, history and documents is very ambitious and a little difficult. And there are points in that book where she reveals people weren't entirely comfortable with the edges of things that she pushes. So it has become not only that comfort level for me, but really one of the true themes of all my books, the trailing the effect of being an ambitious woman. I love that um, this has worked its way into your novels now as well. Deborah, talk well, about the critique group. Well, let me begin by saying that I was kind of reluctant. I'm a very private writer. I don't usually show my writing to anyone at all. Um, I, I feel like I want to get it all out before I get anyone's opinion. So I wasn't sure. And I started out kind of slow and hesitant. But boy, um, I am so glad I stuck with it. I have such respect for all three of these incredible writers. Um, I have learned so much. Uh, seeing different perspectives, they'll point out things I hadn't thought of. Sometimes I use what they say. Sometimes I don't go with, you know, what, what I still feel. But um, it, it's just been wonderful for accountability. I always make sure, you know, I'm going to have something every month and it's going to be the best it can be. It does push me. And then, of course, we bounce ideas off each other. We're all talking about what we're going to write next. And it's so exciting. And, uh, yeah, we, we have a wonderful bond. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of the RBGs, which means, what does it mean? Radical women. <laughs> I, I think right after this episode, I need to create a critique group. So uh, I, I think this is wonderfully, and I love that uh, Laura Buchanan, who is an author, is joining us, says, yay for ambitious women. I think that's very hard for us, to, uh, for some of us, uh, to own that we have certain ambitions. So I'm, I'm very glad that uh, that uh, theme came up, that it's okay to be ambitious. Um, how, one of my favorite questions on Launchpad is, what did you learn from your characters? And believe it or not, we only have four minutes left. But, so I'm going to actually start with Gretchen, because yours aren't characters, but they certainly play a role in your family life and in your head. What have you learned as a part of your writing process? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I've learned, particularly about my grandfather in this book, <clears throat> is just how human he was with all of his strengths and his weaknesses. This is a man that I didn't know, uh, died long before I was born. And, but he was held up kind of on a pedestal as being almost perfect. And so that's how I grew up thinking of him. But in fact, he's a human person. He had his strengths and weaknesses. And I've come to love him even more so because of that. I think given the situation that he found himself in, I don't know that I would have done any better than he did or any of us would have. Um, and so for me, that was really um, meaningful because he's somebody that I didn't know, but I wanted to get to know. Thank you. Ashley, you talked about your own healing. What else did you learn from your characters in your book? 
Well, when you're a writer of any type of fiction, there has to be a character arc in your story and the character can't be the same person at the end of the novel as she is at the beginning of the novel. And so I like to liken that, that fiction can transcend reality. And by writing a book, we're not the same person that we were when we finished writing a novel that we are when we started writing a novel. So it, with every book, I, I hope to um, improve my craft and to tell wonderful stories and continue evolving into the best version of myself that I can be at age blank. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of my favorite themes about never being done to reinvent ourselves. Deborah, what did you learn from Josie and Vic? You know, that's a great question that I just now had to think on off the top of my head. What am I going to answer? And I've got an answer. Um, <laughs> Josie is struggling with the relationship with her father that abandoned them. And I think what I was trying to write through this book was how do we connect with people uh, where we have great differences? Um, can we connect? Yes, we have commonalities, but if the differences are so great, can we still find a way to connect? And uh, I had Josie struggle with that. And you'll have to read the book to see what happens. But I think that's because, of course, we we're living at a time of great division. And I struggle with wanting to love everyone and accept everyone. But but there are a lot of reasons that I struggle with that. So that is what I realize I've learned by exploring Josie and her relationship with her father. Thank you, Shelley. Last but not least, same okay. question. Well, Jane is a narrator from the very beginning as an old woman. I think of her as a super cool crone. I knew her first as a badass crone before I envisioned her as a 17-year-old girl. And so from Jane, I think I've learned to take the risk of maybe being naughtier than I ought to, because by the end, it won't really matter. <laughs> I can take some risks. I can go out on the edge of things. I can even jump when I'm off the edge of things. And it, I might get somewhere because of it. And the harm may not be lasting. I, I love that. I can't wait to, you know, my TBR pile has just grown astronomically. <laughs> I can't wait to do uh, each of your books, uh, the, the pleasure of reading it. And I just want to thank each of you to be on the uh Launchpad today, Shelley Blanton-Stroud with her book that she's talking about, Tomboy, with Poster Girl coming out. Gretchen Charrington with The Butcher, The Embezzler, and The Fall Guy. Ashley E. Sweeney with Hardland. And Deborah Thomas with Josie and Vic. <laughs> Thanks to each of you for being here. On behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, the author marketing coach, and myself, Grace Salmon, soon to have out three books called Launchpad um, in collaboration with others on writing, publishing, and marketing your book. Thanks to Good everybody who has listened today. And thanks for being on Launchpad. Thank, Thank you. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad.